Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the February 4th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader. As our vote-by-mail ballots are heading this week to our residences today, Orange County Registrar Voters Neil Kelly will serve up a full plate of all the changes occurring here in the March 3, 2020 California primary. Then in the second segment, Costa Mesa Mayor Katrina Foley will talk about her campaign for State Senate District 37, challenging incumbent John Morlock. Join us as we cover state policies as they pertain to daunting trends. Dave Min will be challenging the incumbent, and he'll be on next week's show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Orange County Registrar Voters, Neil Kelly, with all the updates. We can burn through this half hour. Neil always shows up a month before the elections, primary or general, and I always appreciate this opportunity with him at an incredibly busy time. So I've introduced him anyways. I'm going to I'm going to give his big bona fides. This is the big man on campus in terms of national election oversight. So Neil's been at the Orange County Registrar Voters Helm since 2004, administer of the fifth largest county in the country. Neil, that still still surprises people when I bring it up. And this is with uh, 1.6 million voters and climbing. Neil's an appointee of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security Election Security Task Force, member of and past chair of the United States Election Assistance Commission Board of Advisors, member of the Election Assistance Commission Voting System Standards Board, member of the National Institute of Standards and Technology Voting Technical Guidelines Development Committee, as a past president of the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials, and past president for the International Association of government officials and past president for the National Association of County Recorders, election officials, and clerks. In addition, he served on the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicines Committee on the Future of Voting. He's been on various forums here on campus with that affiliation. He's simply, as I said, he's the big man on the national campus. He comes to us today from his Santa Ana office to cover yet another election. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Neil Kelly. Well, thank you, Claudia. I appreciate that. So first, I just want to take up one little label issue here. It's the, it says all over our literature we're getting from you, it's the presidential primary. However, in California and Orange County, by inclusion, it does mean there's lots of other positions. There's federal, state, and local races on this primary ballot. Absolutely, and I, I'm glad you pointed that out because there are congressional races, there are state offices, and like you said, we have countywide offices and local offices as well. And California is the first with uh, the this primary carrying everything on the ballot, or not everything, but most races all the way down to local, and uh, other states, will they'll have their presidential primary, and then later in the fall, some of them, late summer and fall, they'll have their primary. So this this puts a lot on you as we're talking about so many new changes. So you've been planning these massive adjustments we're going to talk about. I don't I want to say over a year, but it's probably been more
more than two years because you've been before the county board of supervisors about some of these changes. It's been quite a while, but human nature being what it is, Neil, it forces you to deal with so many complexities in such a short time, right? It does. And I hate to drag this out, Claudia, but it's actually been four years we started this process. See? Going back to the origination of the change in the law that would even allow us to do this. So it's been a very long process to date, um, but it's kind of exciting because now we're seeing tangible results of all this planning. Oh. Like you pointed out, ballots going out and all the infrastructure in place. So let's, in the time we've got, let's go over the timeline, starting with the vote-by-mail ballot to all registered voters. They were sent out by your office yesterday. There's the ballot drop-off locations. They are now open, and they'll be open all the way through the March 3rd. And then how do those ballot drop-off locations, how do those bunkers, how do they get sealed off and emptied out carefully? Right. So those, uh, as you pointed out, there's 110 of them throughout Orange County, uh, very close to where people live and work and, and maybe shop. And the beauty of these is that, uh, like you pointed out, we opened them yesterday because we started mailing ballots out yesterday. But when we close them on March the 3rd at 8 p.m., there will be ballot strike teams that will go out uh, in pairs of two. Uh, on election night, and uh, they will close those boxes promptly at 8 o'clock. But if you're in line or if you, you know, you've just pulled up to it just before 8 o'clock, you'll be fine. You'll be able to deposit your ballot. Okay. Now, I want your clarification here while we're talking about all these deadlines. The registration, some places it says it's February 18th, but Mm -hmm. there are opportunities to be registering throughout the last 10-day period, as well as the same election day registration opportunity. Please clarify that so we know because of the, of the need for some people to re-register because of the party in which they want to be casting their ballots. I'm glad you asked that because the February 18th deadline is, in fact, the close of registration, but it's kind of confusing because yeah. it's really only a reporting mechanism. So for voters, it's seamless now because in California, you can register all the way up to and on election day. And so uh, it's really, um, that date is a little confusing, but again, it's for reporting purposes. Okay. okay, well, so then there's the conditional voter registration. How does that work? And that's that period starts with the, that, the that's, 19th? Yeah, that's right. That starts right after that close of registration. And uh, again, for the voter, it's kind of seamless. You would have to fill out Uh, what's like a provisional envelope uh, with your information. But once you've done that, you'll be activated and then you can cast your ballot uh, all the way up through Election Day. We process those after Election Day. So we're looking at that registration and ensuring that the data is correct, and then we activate the ballot. Um, But still, for the voter, like I said, it's seamless because you can cast your ballot all the way up to Election Day. And then the ballots posted just taken care of for people that mailed them in. And those have to be canceled on the day of the election and then received by Friday, March 6th. Correct. Postage is no longer required. And uh, like you pointed out, we as long as it's put in the mail on or before Election Day, there won't be an issue for that voter's ballot to be counted. We have to receive them, however, from the post office on the Friday, the three days right. after Election Day. So I guess when you're talking about this counting and all that, did you, I mean, is there, who's, whose responsibility is to get everybody prepared for taking the time, being patient about all the tabulation post-election? 
That's an ongoing challenge, Claudia. I don't think that's ever going to be uh, 100% satisfactory because, look, people want results and they want they want information quickly. Look at what happened in Iowa yesterday. I think that's a great example. Well, yeah, we were going to we were we don't have any time to talk about election <laughs> security, but the vulnerabilities of digital electoral processing were, are certainly exposed there, but that but you're right. There's that. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but the beauty of this system now is because we're processing ballots starting the 10th day out and we're starting voting the 10th day out from election day in person voting. We're going to be you know, pretty caught up up to election day. So what will really, you know, affect those counting times will be how many voters turn out on traditional election day and how many drop their ballots off on that day. Because then you have to start the counting process all over again. You know, we've been working on it 10 days before that. But I still anticipate we're going to reduce the counting times with this new system. Okay. So the registration update, because it's business has been brisk in Orange County, and yeah. and I and I'm going to say this is a little uh, a little pointer or a comment to the county board of supervisors. I don't know if the board pays more to your office as you have increasingly more voters to service. Do you does your budget ever get expanded to address that? Well, yeah, and, and I think I'm glad you brought that up because the Board of Supervisors here in Orange County has been very supportive of what needs to be done with elections. And we, as you, as you know, as registration expands as, and as these election cycles continue to grow, uh, of course we have to adjust our budget to meet those needs, and the county's been very supportive. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So talk about then the turnout so far. You've got, I, I'm, I first, I, when I'm, I've been watching this, you know, day after day in preparation for the interview. And at one point, the website said, I think it was Friday, it said up, the registration was up 359%. And then the next, over the weekend, it said up 10% from the previous day. So what's the total, what, what's the trend here? Uh, what's the increase in registration around Orange County? Well, when you're looking at it on a daily basis, if I go back and look at 30-day trend lines, we're adding about 800 voters per day. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the basic trend. And that has been climbing substantially since about the end of November. So registration drives are very active right now. We're getting data back every single day. We had some significant spikes the first part of January as a lot of those registration drives really turned in heavy numbers. Uh, okay, because so, the question came up when I was talking about this with some nonpartisan registrars, and they were saying that they thought that was a, 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 the people coming back to the Orange County Registrar Voters Office, but it's the campaigns that are bringing in those new registrations. It's not an internal thing. That w That's exactly what's happening on the streets. Absolutely. That I, there's no question about that. I mean, I'm seeing wow. the, the boxes of paper forms go by my office on a daily basis. So that's absolutely happening. So there's 567, 428 Democrats, 549,739 Republicans, and 416, 412, no party preference. So let's talk about the need for voters to understand today and throughout all the way through March, sir, but it's better folks to be prepared and do it, do it today and start camping out at ocvote.com. But the need for voters to know in which party they intend to vote for a presidential candidate. It doesn't change down ticket, though. It does not, except for the central committees. Okay. So 
and what must they do exactly, Neil? So every because we have we have a lot of new voters that tend to be no party preference, and right. they need to know that as only no party preference, they have no presidential candidates anywhere on their paperwork. So they need what to do, what steps. If they do not want to vote for president, they do not need to do anything for a presidential candidate. However, if they do want to do that, they have a couple of choices. They could vote in the Democratic ticket, the Libertarian, or the Green Party ticket. Those are the only parties in California that have allowed no party preference voters, we call it to cross over into their primary and to vote. If a no party preference voter wants to vote for another party, Republicans, those are the phone calls I get the most on, you know, okay. how do I vote for Republican? They need to re-register and indicate the Republican Party is their choice when they re-register. Then they can get that particular ballot. And then if they want to go back to no party preference, they can just simply re-register after they've cast their ballot. And I'm looking at, and thanks to, a shout out to Jackie Wu, who gives me everything I ever want in terms of, the, I mean, really important data. And I was really interested in knowing because there was an uptick in the midterm elections at the campus precincts, the UCI campus precincts. So it looks like there is a, well, I don't have the relative to the last registration cycle, but it is picking up around UCI. There's, yes. Jackie's given me like for eight precincts around here, which includes, includes neighbors up the hill, University Hills. So do you want to talk about the distribution, Neil, of where the increases over all of the county, where you're seeing the increases in registration? Well, I think the most increases we're seeing has come from the city of Irvine uh, and then also north part of the county, up around Santa Ana, Anaheim, uh, Fullerton areas. We've seen substantial increases. We've also seen some increases along the coast, up around the Huntington Beach area. So those are kind of the pockets that come to mind immediately. And But again, we've seen registrations coming in from all corners of the county as well. So it's not just those, you know, pockets that are coming in. Okay, but I, I have been really fascinated by that. It's good to know that. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Orange County Registrar of Voters, Neil Kelly, steering the election infrastructure toward the California March 3rd primary elections. I must tell you, Neil, it's I've gone to more forums where that really critical data point, March 3rd, just got missed when it was all about campaigning and elections and you know getting voters mobilized and that kind of thing. So it's, I warned everybody. I warned everybody on this show. It's March You're good 3rd. about that. <laughs> well, uh, we have to, so we've clarified the deadlines now so everybody knows about the 10 days before. So one question I got, so we're going to, well, let's talk about the centers, the voting centers. We've talked a little bit about the bunkers, the the, the voting ballot, the big big boxes around that are in place. But let's talk about the voting centers. That's where human beings are, and those okay. are the people that can help with getting that crossover ballot. Right, and you know the good thing about these vote centers, and I, I want to tee it off with this, is that for no party preference voters, if you go back four years ago, if you showed up at a polling place and wanted to change your party registration or you wanted to vote in another ballot, you didn't have a choice. You were stuck at that point. With vote centers, you can do that anywhere in Orange County. And that's the beauty of this system, that no party preference voters have a much broader choice when it comes to voting. And they and those are questions I'm getting. I'm you know, I'm bringing this into every single conversation I have. And so there are voters because they're, they're – 
getting a, a semblance of a notice that things are changing, but they don't know what to expect. Because right. th- and this this learning curve must that you have the most voters ever, and the and all of these changes must be um, unbelievably taxing. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that comment. You know, Colorado is a good state to look at because oh. they transitioned to vote centers about 10 years ago. Only 10 years ago. Okay. Only and 10 years ago. And it t- but it took them about a cycle for voters to start really adapting. And now you talk to Colorado voters and they love it. So we know that there's going to be a transition and a shift for voters to adapt. However, we have been pouring a tremendous amount of effort and dollars into an outreach campaign to make sure we yes. can reach voters and tell them about these changes. And it's hard for you to be everywhere, though. I know you were very vigorously appearing all over in the summer, late June through late July. And so it's but people they weren't thinking about that. They weren't they were were starting to look at some of the, the, the actually the presidential debates had not even started yet when you were out there with Alex Padilla all over the county. So as secretary of state. So it's it's been a all the front loading, and it you know, it still boils down to the last couple of weeks is what it's going to be here. So it, it does. But if I could just point out the please. voter information guide that's gone out yeah. has, a, has a wealth of information about the changes. Exactly. Very simple to understand. And we're also doing direct mail pieces to every voter. We're going to be doing that three, four, five times depending on where you live. So there's going to be a lot of information coming out. And so as I'm looking at my sample ballot, and there, everybody, you can t- look at the the back side, the outside of the ballot, and it shows your nearest vote center, mm-hmm. and it shows your nearest drop box, which yep. is, it's a little further away than t- it'll tend to be, but not with everybody, I guess. It just depends on where you're, how, right. your location there. So that that information is all there. And and the rationale you said for the, the drop boxes is where people are. It's where they're shopping, where they're converging their senior centers and things like that. Correct. And we and we know from data from other states that have done this as well as there's a lot of voters that like the idea of delivering the ballot directly to the election official. And by doing that in a drop box, that's exactly what they're doing. They're not having to go through the post office to do that. So I think we're going to see a mix between mailed and and dropped off in the in the drop boxes. So can we go through all the possibilities that a person can surrender their ballot 10 days going into March 3rd? Sure. So if, first of all, I should point out that every voter in Orange County now will be receiving a vote by mail ballot. Right. That gives them the opportunity to vote at home is the way that I'm kind of approaching that communication because it really is. They have, they have a chance to slow down, think about their choices, and cast their ballot in the comfort of their home. And then they could deliver it through the mail, or through a Dropbox, or at a vote center. Now, if they want to surrender that, like you pointed out, they could go to any vote center that would be open starting February 22nd, and they don't have to take that ballot with them anymore. They can show up, vote in person, and their vote-by-mail ballot automatically is voided once they check in. So this idea, this archaic notion of having to Go with your ballot, and if you forgot it, now you're in a provisional ballot status. All of that disappears starting with this election. So, you know, voters don't need to worry about hanging on to that ballot if they want to go in and vote in person. So why don't we just do a quick public service announcement, Neil, that everybody should go to a voting center like when when they're opening up so they can go find out how this is all working. 
if you don't have the opportunity to vote on a Tuesday, which has been the way we voted in California since the state was formed, now you have Saturdays and Sundays included. There's no reason to wait to Election Day. Every day leading up to Election Day now for 10 days is its own Election Day. So was the mock election that you did on, I think it was January something, I don't remember, 7th. Mm-hmm. So how instructive was that? It, it was very good. I, we had a great turnout. We had hundreds of voters that showed up both at Mission Viejo and here in Santa Ana. And we got a lot of good feedback. And by and large, the feedback was, hey, this is great. It's easy to use. It's intuitive. They enjoyed the features. We learned a lot from it, too, though. We were able to observe how are people queuing up? How are people going through and checking in? And we've made some adjustments based on on the data that we took away from that mock election. So it was very helpful for us as well. And I, you know, Neil, I, I, I kind of hacked those paper ballots. I tried to see what was going to be sufficient marking up of the square. Yeah. I, I did an X, and then in another box I did four dots. Yeah. The X didn't make it, but the four dots did. Mm. So I, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about that. Oh, well, you were testing it, which is good, because that, that scanning device, depending on how you do mark it, yeah. is, is going to either reject that ballot or accept uh, and give you an opportunity to change it. And I know people are watching with one little ear over at what's going on with L.A. County, the sort of the way in which they built their ballots up. But we don't have any of those issues with candidates for one office that are dribbling over on another page and we're, we're confused by whether we're continuing or or uh, nexting and uh, th- that kind of a complication? Well, I'll tell you this. The ballot itself in California is always long. We're going to see a longer ballot in November. Our ballot, I mean, you think about these screens that you're looking at or the paper ballot you're voting on. If you get paper, of course, there's no issue. If you're voting on one of the assisted devices which with, with a screen, you'll have a scroll button, but that scroll button is, is very bold and in your face. Um, yeah. So, yes, we don't have that same issue. Thank goodness. Well, other things like with the – there's – the feeding, you know, we've got it. the feeding is go, is working smoothly with uh, each of those sheets of the ballot there. Right. Yeah. So when you cast your paper ballot, which most voters will be voting on in a vote center, you as a voter will feed that into the scanning device, and it will will grab your ballot and it will ensure that it's marked correctly in terms of no overvotes, and then it will deposit it securely into a a ballot box container that is delivered every night here to Santa Ana. So when we're talking about submitting the vote by mail through the mail versus we're talking about the the vote centers, do you have any inkling as to the percentage of voters you think are going to be voting by mail versus the vote center drop box? Boy, that's a great question. If I had to forecast it, the best I could do right now, Claudia, is I'm going to say probably about 65% to 70%, I think, will be doing it through the mail. The rest of that will be made up of of drop-offs and in-person voting. Well, that's big. Well, is that based on previous vote-by-mail performance and just sort of giving it a multiplier that since everybody's going to have those yep. mail ballots? Okay. That, that's exactly what we're doing. And, and also, it's kind of the same data we're seeing out of Colorado. You know, that's the best I've got to go on right now. Okay. Anybody else making this leap besides uh, the state of California, and be, besides Orange County, L.A. County, and a few others? Are, are there other states that are moving right along in all of these associations you're membered up with? Yeah, so certainly west of the Mississippi, we're starting to see some growth of vote centers because you have states where there's more rural locations, and that's where vote centers really kind of grew out of. You know, you think about California being so dense south of Santa Barbara, but 
because it's so dense and because there's so many people, that's another reason we're transitioning to, to vote centers. So on the East Coast, you're not seeing as much because that culture really is all about polling place and in-person voting. But certainly in the Western states, we're seeing growth. New Mexico, Washington state's going to start expanding to some vote centers. Colorado's made the full transition. So yes, it's moving. Well, I guess we do have a little extra time we can fit in the some voter security. The alarms are going off all over social media and in mainstream media about the security of elections. Mm-hmm. And so you've talked a lot today about the it's all paper in Orange County. And so the concern here is how how this kind of security is going to be maintained when there are some very already questionable, compromised kinds of, of election infrastructure that's being installed and contracted. Well, let me tell you, there, there's been a lot of chatter. You're right. And, and I will tell you that here in Orange County, we have done tremendous amount of work with the FBI, with Homeland Security, to shore up our security on three fronts, both the physical, the cyber, and then the social side, um, training, employees, et cetera. And that work continues. I mean, I, I am working with those federal agencies on a, on a weekly, biweekly basis. But all that being said, I think any election official that tells you, oh, this system is 100% secure, you could never no. secure any system 100%. So that's why I've advocated for a complete paper backup system because if we do have some sort of a breach, I need to be able to assure voters that we can go back to that paper copy and recreate that election. That's really important. And it's not the paper after the digital downloading no. of the vote. And that, no. that means that it's getting really muddy, Neil. And yep. so and there are people that are earning generously from getting their electronic devices in place. And so, I mean, what kind of leadership can you exert with your gold standard profile here on calling foul on those contracts that are being let out in some states I'm not mentioning, but we know yeah, that. I- no, I hear you. And we've had those discussions at a national level, and it's, you know, it's kind of tough. I'm in a difficult position because these are my colleagues around the country. But I can tell you just, you know, where I'm doing it here in Orange County, we're not going to be doing that. And we need to be voting on paper to ensure that we've got the redundancy and the backup and the ability to audit. And so all I can do really, Claudia, is advocate strongly about those issues on a national level, which I do. But, you know, the chips fall where they may in some states, and there's not a lot I can do about you that. You know, all you needed was $3 million to do a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl to, to plug <laughs> right. that. So I, so checks. I, I, we know some uh, some titans that might have had that cash. They could have done that. You know, that was an opportunity. So as the time draws down here, let's make the last question the best way. Now, we've already talked about people need to camp on your ocvote.com website and go to your voting center to just do their own mock uh, sort of election. But what's the best way to reach you if, let's say, there's a snag and somebody just happens not to have the answers at the voting centers? Well, you know, we have a lot of ways to, for people to contact us. I've just opened up a 30-team uh, phone bank. We're getting good call volume coming in. 714-567-7600. You'll get a live person oh, if you good. need help. Always like that. You're not going to get a recording. And then we have live chat, too. You can go to our homepage at ocvote.com, scroll down to the bottom, click the contact us. Lots of choices. The live chat's becoming really popular. And we have lots of agents that are, that are standing by to help people as well. Well, that is good news. I want to thank you, Neil, for 
I want to first, I want to wish you good luck on managing all these changes in a massive and a crucial operation. Thanks Thank for, you. for you and the uh, increasingly more sleep deprived crew mounting this steep slope. <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. Okay, thank you. My guest was Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar Voters, steering the election infrastructure toward the California March 3rd primary. We'll be back with candidate for the State Senate District 37, Katrina Foley, Mayor of Costa Mesa. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Just saying, that was Lalo Schifrin playing his own composition. So, welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Costa Mesa Mayor Katrina Foley, running in the 37th District for California State Senate. The district includes, everybody lean in and forward to all or portions of Irvine, Orange Park Acres, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Lake Forest, Anaheim, Tustin, Laguna Beach, Laguna Woods, Corona Del Mar, El Toro, Foothill Ranch, and Villa Park. Katrina Foley has served on the Costa Mesa City Council as council member or mayor for 11 years, as well as one four-year term on the Newport Mesa Unified School District. She is president of her law practice, the Foley Group, dealing in contract negotiations for artists and athletes, civil business and employment litigation, and nonprofit compliance matters. She formerly practiced law with Lentz and Foley. Her board and agency posts include Travel Costa Mesa, the Toll Corridor Agency Boards, Newport Mesa Arts Commission, Bike and Walkability Committee, Pension and Finance Advisory Special Districts Committee, and the Orange County Fair, the Redevelopment Agency, and City Council lays on to the following Orange County Fair, Newport Mesa Unified School District, Youth and Government Program, Child Care and Youth Services Committee, Cultural Arts Committee, and Santa Ana River Trail Blue Ribbon Committee chaired the Costa Mesa College Measure M Oversight Committee. She was president and founder of the National Scholastic Skating Board League. That's not on our campaign literature. That's on her LinkedIn file. We're just going to drag all the things we can in. And as a law student, Katrina established the school's first women's resource to serve domestic violence victims and chaired the Women's Law Caucus. Katrina Foley completed her Bachelor's of Arts in English at UCLA and her Juris Doctor, her JD Law Degree at Seattle University School of Law. She joins me in studio to talk about her bid for the 37th California State Senate District. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Katrina Foley. Thank you. Great to be here. Good morning. It's good to have you. All right. We've got lots to cover. I'm going to open up with the one that dogs all of us in California, that there are unbelievable structural issues. I want to see how much we can get into that, is the availability of housing. Yes. And I I just pulled over Senator Scott Wiener at one of the state conventions, and he was the sponsor of the now twice failed SB 50 that was going to override local regs to allow for a much denser housing around certain transportation nodes and hubs. But when I buttonholed him, I said, well, you know, all of these provisions, are any of them actually getting at the fact that increasingly more real estate assets, especially housing stock, are owned by fewer and fewer owners. So 
with that kind of thing, how do you, Mayor Foley, approach meeting needs for the emergency housing, affordable housing, market rate? We got the deluxe covered. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can address that because I'm actually doing that work right now. You know, one of the differences between me and the other candidates running is I'm doing this real work that we're talking about. Housing, homelessness, ending homelessness, creating opportunities for housing. And the trick is, is to apply those principles that I learned as a planning commissioner and as a city council member and maintain, you know, your local control to the extent that the locals are actually putting forth a housing plan that are addressing the housing needs, the diversity of housing needs, not just for luxury housing, which is what we've been building all over Orange County over the last several years. But we need to address transitional housing, permanent supportive housing. So people who leave the shelters that we're creating all over Orange County have a place to go. We need to create housing for teachers, for nurses, for firefighters and police. We've got to create housing for, you know, my kids and your kids so that they can actually stay and live in Orange County. So we have a plan in Costa Mesa. I know that other cities have a plan. We just voted uh, at our council with regard to the state property, Fairview Development Center, for a 1,500-unit proposal I traveled to Sacramento with our city manager last week. We presented it to the governor's office. They seemed receptive. But that proposal would have 200 permanent supportive housing units, 311 veterans homeless uh, housing. So that would be for veterans and their families. And then the balance would be a mixture of uh, low, very low, moderate, and market rate as well as 25% open space communities, activities, centers, and then some retail in there because we want to capture the trips. You know, Harbor Boulevard, you can't really get in and out of this location, so we want to capture the trips. We're also working above north of the freeway on a 1,057-unit project. Um, the way I see it is that Scott Wiener's bill... North of the 405. North, sorry, yes. That's okay. No, no, that's Surly. fine. I just had one cup of tea so far today. <laughs> uh, but the, the way I see it is that conceptually, I think that Mr. Wiener has, Senator Wiener had a good idea in terms of you want to build housing near jobs. Okay, conceptually, I think we all can and agree reduce with that. And reduce the, the, the car commute. emissions. Yeah, yeah, and the commutes, yes. So we can all agree with that. But... We shouldn't take away the rights as a local leader. You know, we know what's best for our community. So long as the locals are required to put together a housing plan and submit that to the state, to me, then the enforcement is enforcing their own plan. So we just got our numbers from SCAG across Orange County. In my opinion, Riverside and L.A., sort of gave it to us and they gave what they they stuck it to us in terms of the housing allocation as there is a part their participants in the skag correct and, and so what's the share in orange county you're saying that was gave yes it. so okay. what happened is that there were lots of community meetings lots of electeds from local uh, municipalities participating a methodology that we all could kind of buy into even though it was still going to give us a lot of housing that more than we've seen ever in Orange County. Like, for example, Costa Mesa is four, was 4,000 under that prior plan. Um, and many, you know, Newport Beach, I think they were 2,000. There was a lot of housing added. 
Well, then Riverside, uh, the Riverside, yeah, in L.A., they got together and just arbitrarily put forth a motion without any vetting, any conversation, any consultation, any community hearing, and more than tripled most cities' allocation in Orange County. So they pushed all of the housing out of their areas and into Orange County. So, um, so for example, we went from four thousand to eleven thousand. And I'll give you an example. But one, one thing yeah. though, there's a feature to that though that I like is that's where th- there's more jobs in Orange County. You are shortening the commute. There's there's a rational approach to well, Skag thinking about that. Well, where I would disagree with you is that like what they're using as a potential for housing sites are places like South Coast Plaza because there's a big parking lot there. Well, that's not really a potential housing location because... No? Yeah. <laughs> no. So, so you have to be rational about it. Oh, um, wow. and, and I'll tell you that... Uh, I'll give you an example. The housing allocation that we got, it's um, over the course of the history of Costa Mesa, we've built about 40,000 housing units. And... We got an allocation of eleven thousand units to build in eight years. Okay, and that's not that's not that dense. The studio units, the 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 um, for the three story uh, studios that well, are b- infill well, developments. That, that doesn't inc- that's not including those. Well, no, it does. So, but so what I'm saying is that, that okay. over the whole course of the history of time, we were, you know, we're what sixty three or no sixty six years old. Right. Um, we've built about 40,000 housing units and now we're being required to build 11,000 in eight years. That's That's aggressive. It's a huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm talking about is that, yes, we all need to look at housing. We need to plan. Well, we need to plan near job centers so people don't get in their cars. And, but we need to, um, you know, my idea is that when I become the next state Senator, I am going to, um, circle the mayors of the, the district and include maybe even the whole county um, and form a regional housing task force to create a regional housing master plan because I don't think we can any longer just on islands in each city create our own plans. They well, have you could to do be that as a mayor now. Yeah, but you don't have as much influence. Okay, okay. So there will be carrots. There will be yeah, carrots that's at right. that pooling. Right. There. You have funding. You have okay. funding incentives. Lightning round, folks. We have lots of policy to talk about. I want to now direct our attention to the environmental front. And the we know that the federal uh, agencies are rolling back on a lot of protections. Some of them are being challenged. And we have... Uh, that was partly a, a concern with SB 50 if there there were going to be certain environmental protections that were going to be waived. So, and we're now watching how the PFAS, which is now uh, it moved through Congress. I don't know exactly what's remained in the legislation that moved out of the House. It's I guess with the Senate, mm-hmm. but it's sitting the, on Mitch McConnell's the, desk, yes, yeah, along with like a hundred others. Stack. <laughs> so the monitoring and the threshold setting are a budding politi- a public health concern, a crisis. Agreed. So what would you see in terms of the, what the state can do to set those monitoring, notification, threshold setting for uh, to avert what we're going to look back on this in probably three to four years and say, what were we thinking that there wasn't a greater response? What would the state, what should the state be doing? Well, 
um, California can be a leader in this. We had a bill, SB 54, that was pending last year, and it uh, it didn't make it out of committee. But uh, I know that the legislature is going to probably take it up again. There is strong support for moving forward to protect our community from plastic. I mean, we have to. We have to address it. And so I, I see that bill coming forward this cycle. Who knows if it'll go on a two-year cycle and I'll have a chance to vote on it when I get there or if it'll actually um, get uh, signed into law this year with the governor. So but the incumbent, what has it, I, I did He voted did, against, he, he doesn't, he has a 0% rating on environmental. So, matters. I mean, I, I know he looks at everything as an accountant and I'm thinking this doesn't really have fiscal impacts. This has, it will have a fiscal impact with unaddressed public health right. uh, concerns opening up. That will be very expensive later. But so that's, that's his position. And I'm hoping I can get everybody represented and running in 37. Well, and it's not just as an accountant. He, he's just looking at it like he, supports any business whatsoever I mean and so plastics are a business so he doesn't support putting any regulations or controls on them and I mean he hasn't been an accountant in what is it 20 years I mean, he hasn't actually had a private job in a long time he's been a government employee for the last 20 something years okay. unlike myself who is a small business owner and have paid a you know, my rent and a paycheck for my employees and run a business and actually been in private practice for the last 23 years. So let's talk about the finance in greater detail. How much, Mayor Foley, are you willing to tweak Prop 13? The initiative has qualified for the fall 2020 ballot that would treat California commercial property differently than residential properties, and people are calling it the split roll. I don't know that we have a name for that prop yet. What is your position on that? So uh, that has it qualified? I don't think it has. I thought it had. No, it's they're still collecting signatures. Okay. Yeah, and so it hasn't qualified yet. There's a lot of discussion, uh, deal making going on with the governor's office with regard to that. So we don't know where that's going to land yet. Um, but that's going to be an issue for the voters to decide. So what would you do with that? Um, I'm going to wait and let the voters decide. I'm not going to put influence on that because I think that's a really important issue that we need to make sure that the voters weigh in on. Um, but what I will say is that there's a lot of confusion about the March ballot. There's an initiative on the March ballot that relates to a school bond, uh, earthquake reci- uh, retrofitting. Right, AB48. Un- no, it's called Prop 13. Yeah, it's called, but came yeah. out of the, the yeah, assembly. Exactly. But there's a lot of confusion. People think yeah, that, that, is- that is going to be taking away their Prop 13 single family residential rights. That's not correct. This is just a school bond. Unfortunately, I think they should pull the number 13 out of the proposition uh, numbering system because it's a random drawing, you know. So they pick 13 and everyone gets confused. running the numbers through. Right. So they should just pull 13 out so that we don't have that confusion anymore, especially as it relates to school bonds that are super important for retrofitting, for earthquake um, retrofitting for our schools. So there's a lot of confusion there. But on this March ballot... Right now, that's the only ballot measure we have. And that us. we're covering with the Orange County Board of Education candidates that I have on. So, oh, good. so you're off the hook with yeah. having to cover all that. But I did want to put you totally on the spot about <laughs> what to do with Prop 13. And so the state's most vulnerable fiscal areas. And I, I'm watching what a columnist at L.A. Times, George Skelton, is talking about. The governor needs to focus. The governor's there's lots of priorities that have been unaddressed since the well, it was even before the Great Recession opened up. It was when we had all of our 
the utility derivatives just blow up all sorts of public mm-hmm. money. So with a lot of unaddressed needs to be met, what what most vulnerable areas are you concerned about So in the um, state we obligations? Have a, we have a $7 billion surplus and a couple areas that I think that the governor should focus on and the legislature f- should focus on this cycle is, one, we should pay down our unfunded pension liability. We should put a couple, a billion dollars or more into our unfunded pension liability. Why? Because if the governor is able to pay that down at the state level, then that will impact all the locals who we're spending a very sizable amount of our local budgets to, to address the unfunded pension liabilities. And we have to pay pensions. We have to hire police. We have to hire firefighters. So we're not going to get out of that. So that's one area. The other area is housing and homelessness. Those should be our top priorities for this budget cycle. Housing, as it relates to uh, get, creating opportunities to build more affordable housing, senior housing, housing for families that are low income. Do you know, I learned the other day, that um, in our area, because we have such high earnings overall, that it's $80,000 a year is what a person for a moderate income, or I'm sorry, low income. It's $80,000 a year. Well, that means that the apartment that they rent is going to cost something close to about $2,000 a month. So we have kind of a, a, a warped uh, uh, analysis around here because everyone earns so much money in Orange County. And then property values are so high. Market rate is so high. We've got to figure out a way to balance that all out because teachers can't afford to live here. Uh, students who are right here on UCI campus can't afford to live here. I've always said that, the, you know, I have a son in college at UCSB. The housing for dormitory housing was outrageously expensive. Another high I under, I I can't understand why we're making money off of students. I don't think we should be doing that. So housing, um, uh, unfunded pension liability, and then we need to address homelessness. What's happening right now is that there's tons of money. We got plenty of money. It's not being allocated. So the money goes from the state to the county board of supervisors. And it stopped there. And it stops there. There's hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in the county board of supervisors and cities like Costa Mesa, Laguna Beach, others. We can't get one penny. Costa Mesa opened a homeless shelter on April 5th under my leadership. We have since housed 102 individuals into permanent supportive housing with our, our plan, which is a great model. I think we should replicate around the county and throughout the state. It is a wraparound services, housing first model, but we're paying for it all on our own. Operational, it's about $3.5 million a year. We had to buy a building to, to create our shelter that cost us $7 million. So we're in just this fiscal year more than $10 million, and we couldn't get one penny out of the county. They told us that uh, homeless uh, individuals experiencing homeless are not mentally ill, therefore the funds don't apply to them. Well, I say that's outrageous. So I've been working with Cotty Petrie Norris, our assemblywoman. I couldn't get any help from Senator Morlock. I've written him two letters. I asked him recently on Monday. I was in Sacramento with a group. We had a legislative briefing, and I said, Senator, here's an issue that we're struggling with here in Orange County in your district. What can you do to help us? It was a softball, frankly. And what was his response? What was it? Get in line. 
That's what he said. Get in line. That's what he tells to a mayor of his district. Get in line. That's his solution. Well, I'll tell you what. When I'm the senator, I will never respond like that. I will say, let me figure out how I can help you. Let's get the funding for the programs that are working to end homelessness in Orange County. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on Radio KUCI. My guest is Mayor Katrina Foley, Costa Mesa Mayor, Consumer Attorney, and candidate for California State Senate District 37. And we're talking about the housing crunch and the vulnerable fiscal areas for the state. Um, So I guess if you have something that's working here in, in, in your municipality of Costa Mesa, I guess that there are so many headwinds with making the case for this housing. So uh, you, you're seeing you're, you're saying as a, a state senator, you would be able to sort of reach more municipalities right. to raise their emergency and other affordable housing stock needs there. Um, so yes, I, I mean, I mean there's examples. Somehow Costa Mesa's figured out how to deal with this NIMBY issue, which is just. It's kind of xenophobic. Well, it's called community engagement. We engage our community. We don't just sit behind the dais and have people come to the podium and talk at us or talk at the, co- the community. We get out. We go door to door. Councilmember Reynolds and I, when we opened our shelter, we went door to door. It was raining, I remember. Door to door, talking to every single resident. We treated it like a campaign. We want your input. We want to address your concerns. And we pledge to you that we will be accountable and it will improve the quality of your neighborhood. And it did. It's working. And I think that's the key is community engagement. So that begs a, a different kind of question, a sort of structural political one. You, you're able to get a lot of this done because you have a supermajority of a sort of progressive mindset. Right. And so how does, though, the supermajority of your party in Sacramento affect how you would function as a state senator? Well, you know, everyone keeps asking that question. But what I will do is always govern through the lens of what is best for working families, what is best for my district, and and how can we do for the greater good. Those are going to be my litmus tests, if you will. You know, I come from a very poor background. I was a Head Start student. I had free lunch going through high school. I went to UCLA on the Pell Grant. I understand the benefit for struggling families of these safety nets that we need to continue to maintain so that especially our youth have ability to reach their potential and become good citizens and go on to become lawyers and mayors and senators. Uh, so that's that's how I will govern and I will have an open door policy. I always try to make sure that I have a balance of interests. You know, it's, it's no... It's undisputed California is run by the Democrats. It has done us no good to continue to send ideologues from Orange County that are Republicans that don't uh, have any ability to cross the aisle, to work collaboratively with the colleagues there in Sacramento, and to do anything to benefit Orange County. Our senator votes no on the budget every time. Our former assemblyman, who Cotty replaced, voted no on the budget. Stephen Choi, who Melissa Fox is running against, votes no on the budget. 
Guess what that means? We don't get any money back. We're a donor county. We send all of our money to Sacramento. We subsidize San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Los Angeles. And then guess what? We don't get that money back for ending homelessness, building libraries, building student housing, taking care of our roads, making sure that we have good parks. We don't get that money back. And that's what I'm going to work on, getting that money back to Orange County and, and solving the local problems that we have. So other than what you've already talked about in the issues, what are you hearing from your constituents as you're campaigning, what they want to see? Homelessness. That's, that's the number one issue. back to that. Homelessness and climate action. Those are the two top priorities of, I will say, it doesn't matter what district you're in. You, I mean, what city you're in. You could be in Orange. You can be in Irvine, Laguna Beach, Costa Mesa. doesn't matter. And Newport now, Beach, even. I was on Balboa Island last weekend. We walked all of Balboa Island. And by the way, there's lots of good Democrats on Balboa Island. Um, it's great to see the numbers uh, growing. But we don't have... Uh, that's the issue that people care about, ending homelessness. So where is your funding coming from? My funding has... For your campaign. Lots and lots of donors. Um, hundreds of donors throughout the district. I am the labor candidate, so I'm in, endorsed by the state labor fed, as well as uh, you know lots and lots of labor organizations, including the UC employees. Asked me thirty two ninety nine, and so I'm what I would consider to be a working people's candidate. Um, so my funding, I have a, a great deal of funding coming from labor organizations, lawyers. I'm a lawyer. Lots of my friends are lawyers, and so they're donating. And then tons and tons of $37 a month donations, $5, $10 from all across the district. And what's the best way to follow you? Foleyforsenate.com. Okay. Well, thank you. And you can go to my at Mayor Foley on uh, social media, um, on my Instagram and Facebook, and then on Twitter, it's at Katrina Foley. Well, I want to thank you, Mayor Katrina Foley, for coming in studio today to join me and thank talk about you. your candidacy. It's, I'm really focusing on down-ballot candidates because that is there's never enough literacy from voters to understand that. So I want to give everybody a chance to hear you all side by That's side. That's right. You got your ballots out this week. Vote. Turn them in. Don't wait. Exactly. Again, thanks for joining us. Thank Katrina you for Foley. having us. So, Katrina Foley, she's mayor of Costa Mesa and candidate for, as I said, the California State Senate District 37, including portions or all of Irvine, Orange Park Acres, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Lake Forest, Anaheim, Tustin, Laguna Beach, Laguna Woods, Corona del Mar, El Toro, Foothill Ranch, and Villa Park. That's my wrap. Next week, I'll have on more candidates. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>